good afternoon, everybody. It's a little bit after 5 o'clock on a Wednesday, April 10th, 2019. And uh, things aren't always what they appear to be in this place. So um, I'm hoping that uh, we get some folks to join us. All right, hey, Laura, how's it going? I'm uh, screenerless at this moment, but hopefully... Uh, Either non-compliant Mary or Becca. Becca will show up and uh, get me a screener or be a screener. Um, we've got a guest coming on. Seems like an interesting person. I haven't met her yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, her name's Yvonne Forsyth Newbert, and uh, she seems to have quite a story. Um, and again, somebody who has uh, been willing to. Uh, not be afraid of this plant and to use this plant, even though maybe she was breaking the law. You know, there's there's choices that we all face every single day, and uh, we choose a lot of things every day. Hey, Becca, Becca's here, screening, screening large today. Um, Anyways, we make choices every day. We wake up every day and we decide, is uh, the pain of living uh, worth continuing to do so? That's a choice some people make. Unfortunately, um, I've, I've come upon enough people in my life that decided one day that it wasn't. And that's a, a horror story of all horror stories. We decide, our, is, is, uh, are there things worth doing? Every day, you know, we do certain things. We talk about, uh, oh, I don't have time for this. I can't do this. I, the reasons why, oh, my God, if you guys could just hear all the reasons why people can't do things. Hey, I'm not telling you you're, you're making it up. I'm not telling you that's valid or not valid. I'm just telling you that most of the people that do most of the things are the least amount of people able to do the least amount of things. Most of the people that have accomplished more things, in my experience, have been the people that couldn't do it. They couldn't do it, but they did. They found a way. They sucked it up and kept marching. They found a way to accomplish the things that they decided were important. If you look at the real heroes behind this war, this war on us, they're not uh, necessarily the ones that are out there with their faces on all the award posters and all the whatever. Not saying those people aren't good either. I'm just saying that the people that are digging in, getting most of the work done, are not asking for any credit. These are people that are just doing it because it's important. They're doing what needs to be done. Whatever happened to that? Whatever happened to the old grit? Whatever happened to... A man's got to do what a man's got to do and actually mean that. A woman's got to do what a woman's got to do. A person's got to do what a person's got to do. And when that's the right thing, we do it. And we don't worry about, oh, I'm breaking the law. We do what's right because it's right. You know, sometimes we do what's wrong because it's wrong. You know, how many of us have done something for a thrill? Would it have been a thrill if it wasn't wrong? Probably not. So sometimes we do the wrong thing because it's wrong. But you know what? 
I have been faced with I don't know how many people over the years that have had to make a choice between doing the right thing and breaking the law. And some people decided it wasn't worth the risk. Hang on a second. Once again, our YouTube stream isn't working the way I wanted it to, but we got another one. I just posted it on my page. We got Laura Roberts at least on there. We got three people on there. Yay. All right. So, once again, the show is being streamed on the Facebook cesspool and on YouTube. It's also uh, being podcast instead of broadcast on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, the link's been shared around. It's also can be available by just calling in, 646 929 If you call in, you have a couple of things you can do. One, you can just listen, and it's a pretty clear. If, if you're listening on a landline, it'll be a nice clear channel. If you listen on a cell phone, it'll be more up to you uh, or up to your signal whether it's good or not. But at the end of the day, if you're on the phone, you can share your story. You can input. You can be part of this show. Cup of Joe isn't just about me. Well, it is about me because I'm Joe. But the whole idea is, is sitting around the table and we're sharing a conversation. We're engaging in a conversation. We're fellowshipping. We're sharing our stories, both good and bad. We're hopefully being inspirational. We're hopefully uh, we're rallying support together. You know, the Human Solution International is the story behind this show, and the Human Solution International is a civil rights group, not a pot group. We're about civil rights. We're about our civil right to grow a plant. Seems kind of simple. My guess is if I was to Cover up in your mind all of the rhetoric and all of the propaganda that's been put on this place for a long time and just give you the facts about this plant and about the legality of this plant and why it's legal, where it's legal, how it's legal, my guess Hey, Mary joins us. Awesome, possum. We now have two screeners. We're double-barreled and packing heat. Good job. All right. So anyways, imagine if you were to get the story, you're an explorer from another planet, and you're sitting down with one of the elders of the human race, and the topic of this plant comes up, and you were to tell this individual the story of this plant and the story of, of why are there people locked up for this plant, and why are there people that have lost their jobs from this plant, and why are there people that have lost their homes and their property and their children and so many other things, in some cases their lives. How did this come to be? And my guess is that if you were honest and you talked about the virtues and the risks of this plant, and you talked about the truth about why and how it's been rendered an illegal substance in so many ways that it wouldn't make a lot of sense. And my guess is if you were to take and, and be telling a story 
about this. And let's just say we went through the human race's um, strengths and weaknesses. And we talked about the history of the human race and how we have conquered each other and enslaved each other and imprisoned each other and, and, and raped each other and stolen from each other and done all the horrid things that we've done and the laws that we've made. Do you realize if you look through the criminal codes of the human race how many things that are just ridiculous have been illegal at one time or another? And those laws, when they were in existence, should they have been followed because they were laws? Or should they have been broken because they were wrong? Well, that choice is up to you. Once again, we make these choices every day for ourselves. I'm not here to be your moral compass. Actually, I am. I am here to be your moral compass at this moment. True north, that way. There is right and there is wrong. And I can't justify anybody locking anybody up over any act if there's no victim. Just because there was a statute that said something was legal or not, if there's no victim, I just can't see how we as a society or us as individuals tolerate that we can lock each other up over it. But maybe you do. And if you do, I'd like to hear about it. I would absolutely like to hear about why somebody ever should be locked up for this plant. So if you have an idea about that, if you have an opinion about that, if you have an answer to that question, please call me up and dial 646-929-2495. It looks like I've got an a input right here from the lovely lady. Oh, a question. Let's if hear a somebody question. comes in and steals your plant, can we have that person locked up? Well, that's for stealing. That's there not, you go. That's not for plants. That's it's for nothing stealing. to do with the plant. So, yes, there you go. You know, and if, if we're going to be honest about this conversation, when I talk about the plant, I'm only talking about the plant. I'm not talking about things that can be done with it. I'm not talking about things that people can do that actually would victimize somebody. We're not talking about that. That's all rhetoric. So absolutely people that steal from other people shouldn't be allowed to do that. All right, we're going to jump right into our guest today. Um, I'm awful curious to talk to Yvonne, and um, we have to realize that uh, somewhere during the middle of this call, of this guest, Craig Cecil is going to be probably calling us, as he does most weeks. And Craig Cecil is currently serving a life sentence in Terre Haute, Indiana, for pot in federal prison. And every week he calls in, most weeks anyways, when he's available and I'm available, and he shares his stories and he pleads with us to contact our congresspeople to urge them to end this madness and create a way for him to get the hell out of a life sentence for pot with no victim. They never had a victim with him, but he got a life sentence on a first-time offense. This is our justice system that did it. So anyways, Yvonne's going to be coming on, and uh, I'm just going to go, and, and look, I've not met Yvonne, but I'm going to uh, look through her uh, intro here, and um, she is known as the Cannabis Candidate of Tennessee, and she's been an advocate for the last five years, which is fantastic. She's had all kinds of extraordinary life-altering events, and uh, she was born partially blind, um, all kinds of horrible uh, childhood issues. 
And um, wow, quite a story here. And uh, at age 29, she lost the majority of her sight, continued to use cannabis, and battling glaucoma, which we know can, can be helpful. She toured as a country singer, graduated from East Tennessee State University with a BA in mass communications, produced and hosted multiple radio shows. Fantastic. Well, maybe uh, she can do a better job than I can on this because I just talk. Anyways, um, she's become an active political activist, and that's fantastic. She's a campaign manager for the Green Party and Jill Stein. In 2016, ran for governor of Tennessee in 2018, and she wants to end prohibition. Now, that's all I need to hear. So let's jump into it. Let's say hi to Yvonne. Yvonne, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hi. I'm doing, despite of everything that's happened in Tennessee this last week, I'm doing pretty good. Um, Turns out a lot of people think um, with cannabis legalization, our biggest opponent is the pharmaceutical industry. But I kind of disagree with that after this past week. It's our law enforcement and it's our for-profit prison industry. That's the enemy. That's the ones that we need to look out for. Um, In one of our hearings, our director for the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, I mean, he lied with every breath. He, every word he said was a lie. And you think, a lot of people now have become more aware of their actions and aware of how things are looking uh, because we've got more people paying attention to what's going on in our legislators. But last week after the hearing, um, the medical cannabis bill in Tennessee is sponsored, the Senate sponsors a female. And after the hearing, the law enforcement, the TBI, the director and Several other cops surrounded this legislator to intimidate her. And to me right now, that is the most horrible thing that has happened in our legislature as far as cannabis reform goes. Um, But let me tell you a little bit. Uh, quickly what why my passion is so high for repealing prohibition Uh, like you said I was premature and they gave me too much oxygen that blinded me in one eye and by the time I was eight months old my biological parents brought me and my sister from California and abandoned us in Jackson, Tennessee, when I was eight months old. And I spent my childhood years at the School for the Blind, where I was badly abused there. Uh, and my first, my first suicide attempt was when I was 11 years old. I tried to hang myself well, from a stairwell to escape pain but when I was 15 or so like any other kid you know you tell me don't do it I'm I'm sure probably going to try it and uh, I'd heard all the myths all the propaganda about cannabis and I believe a lot of it of course I did this is what my elders were telling me and so I knew I was going to try it 
But I also knew I was going to do it with somebody I trusted. And there was a guy there at the school for the blind I had a crush on. I was like 15 or so. And I tried it with him. And after like the third time, I noticed my vision was clearing up and the pain I was having was going away. And I was able to kneel by my bed at night and pray instead of laying in my bed at night and contemplate ways to kill myself. It opened my brain up and my mind up. And my friend, he was the one that told me about glaucoma. He asked me about it, and I said, well, they think I have it, but they can't give me drops because they can't test me. And if they gave me drops, you know, that could do more damage. And he said, well, I got you medicine right here. And I'm like, I think you do. And skip forward, I was 25. I had a daughter. She was three years old. And I had to make a choice between possibly losing my child and stopping smoking uh, to keep my glaucoma pressure down and I chose to quit smoking and sure enough science advanced enough to where like eight months after that they could get a reading on me and high pressure in your eye is 19 and mine was fluctuating between 20 and 65 sometimes within hours and after all the surgeries, I had like 20 different surgeries, it they, it just finally didn't work. And that left me totally blind. And I ended up, you know, losing my daughter in a divorce not long after that. And that's when I ran off to Nashville to be a country music star. And um, I met a guy there who... So we to all these really cool, famous people, and I ended up hooking up with him, and we performed together, um, traveled all over the country for a couple years, selling weed and singing music and hanging out with the Rolling Stones. I mean, you know, it don't get a whole lot better than that until we got busted, Um we got caught with like not a whole lot, only like eight pounds in our car. And the part of this story that even me telling this and it's my story, it just sends chills up my back. My former husband, when they pulled us over and they got him out of the car and he said, Look, my wife is blind. Please don't hurt her. Don't hurt her. Somebody who knew enough to know that that was a possibility over a plant. And they handcuffed us together, you know, like I was going to run away or something. And the cop asked me, he said, ma'am, he said, what can you tell me about this? Did him straight faced. I said, sir, I can honestly tell you I didn't see a thing. <laughs> Right over his head. But they had their revenge when we were getting into the elevator. Um, I was 
starting to panic. I mean, I was scared anyway. You know, I was arrested for a whole lot of weed. My mama was going to find out. You know, I was in trouble. And we got to the elevator, and I started having a panic attack. And Red, that was his name. My ex-husband's name legally was Red Bud Green. I kid you not. And he told them, he said, you know, she's panicky since she lost her sight about, you know, elevators bother her. So they got us on the elevator, and the next thing I knew, the elevator started rising up, but it started swinging from side to side. And I lost every bit of my muscle control and hit the floor. And it turned out, my husband told me, the cops in the elevator were swinging the elevator back and forth. They were swinging themselves to make the elevator move fast. And this is what, this is what we're facing. This is what we're facing as a nation. And in Tennessee, it's up to our legislators. We can't vote in Tennessee on an issue we do not we're not a ballot initiative state well you know it's interesting uh in kansas also not a ballot initiative state we have um some of our members have uh put together and submitted a bill um through their state legislature and it's actually called the human solution act and they modeled it after the oklahoma um law which is in my opinion, probably the closest thing to an actual ending of prohibition that that could be implemented at least today, and it's actually been reasonably successfully implemented. Um, and it's a thing that uh, it's blown my mind that they did it. You know, they, they they put this thing together, and just within the last two weeks, it was uh, submitted. And uh, hopefully, I'm going to be able to get out there and talk to the legislators and and explain it to them. You know, so. Um, I know it's brutal when you don't have the ability to just, you know, get signatures and, and, and pass a law on your own, as we can in California, although, you know, they stomp on, on some of the really good ones, you know, they find some reason why why there's a problem with it. But to not have that freedom is uh, means you have to be even more of an activist almost. You know, you have to really let those legislators know that, you know, you're serious about this. How do you do that? Well, we had um, – well, one way you can do it is for all of the activist groups. Okay, they're each – okay, look at cannabis legalization like a mountain. And any mountain's going to have different terrain, and you need different kinds of equipment to use on the different terrains to get to the top of this mountain. And a lot of times when, because cannabis is a really wide issue, it goes from decriminalization to medical, limited medical, CBD, oil only, to a more open medical with higher levels of THC and where you can grow your own or even smoke your own if that's the way you choose and then you've got full legalization and you add into all this now the growing hemp industry 
which is really, I mean, hemp is cannabis. It's just, it's a kind of like his cousin. It's got a lower, higher in CBD, but it's still in the same family. So, in a sense, we do have a very limited cannabis legalization, just under, you know, different terminology. But instead of fighting on, well, we're for medical, we can't be for full legalization, or we want full legalization or nothing, we need to get out the message that it all in a sense, comes down to it's all medical. It's all medical. For any reason, anybody rolls a joint, smokes a blunt, smokes a bowl, eats an edible, or vapes, there's either a prescription drug or an over-the-counter for that or alcohol. I mean, it's already they're being used as a medicine. And, you know, Tennessee is in the top, even though we're still illegal, we're still in the top uh, five. Or, hey, Yvonne. It's about five or eight. Yvonne, our guest calling from federal prison is calling right now. So um, I'm going to take his call because he's calling from prison, and then um, I'm going to leave you on the line, but as soon as he's done, we can continue on, Okay. Okay. Hello, Craig. Hello, Joe. How are you doing today? Uh, we're doing well. Our weather here is beautiful today. I think it was about 67 or 68 degrees, but it was sunny. So that's about as good as we get this time of year. Yeah, I won't tell you about the 80s it's been over here. <laughs> we're getting sunburns already. I'll bet, I'll bet. But Indiana, here at SCI Terre Haute, we're, we're just crawling out of winter. There's going to be snow, which is not that far north of here, I guess, uh, overnight. So we're, we're doing better than the people up in Michigan. Your voice sounds a little raspy. Are you feeling all right? Yeah, uh, this is the time of year for the colds and the uh, allergies to come through. So I think I've uh, been hit by a little bit of both. Pollen season and uh, cold season. And it seems like when one person gets a cold, uh, I think there's 354 of them here now. About 952 people us get it also. Yeah, that's that's rough. That's worse than grade school. You know, uh, I got a lot of people on the show today that are maybe not even familiar with your story. And you know, it's been a long time since we kind of walked through your story. And a big part of our message is. You know, with all these legalization things that are happening, that still today, as it as of this moment, it's still just as federally illegal as it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and 40 years ago, since the Controlled Substances Act was passed. And I'm wondering if you could kind of walk walk us through your story a little bit, because, like I say, I we haven't done it in a long time, and I know I've got a lot of new folks that just really don't know the whole story. Well, my story is, is uh, in 2002, I was 42 years old, and I owned a, a truck that I had operated for years uh, in the western suburbs of Chicago. One of my customers was uh, an over-the-road trucking company out of Lakeland, Florida. And I would service their trucks, and a lot of times what they would do is they would lease, especially semi-trailers, 
uh, refrigerated ones, and they would haul different kinds of contraband uh, from Mexico or from along the border into the United States. And what they would do is they would haul them to the southwest United States where they were located. They would bring their uh, semi-trailers to my shop near Chicago, and we'd have to put new walls in them and, and things of that nature where, uh, from where they smuggled uh, you know, any kind of contraband within the walls of the trailer. And then to get it out, they would just tear all the walls apart. Well, after uh, more than 10 years of this, all of a sudden uh, they came with an indictment saying that one of the uh, drivers of this company had been indicted. And it was uh, said that since I repaired their trucks, I was encouraging their operation, and their operation involved hauling marijuana from Mexico to Florida and Georgia. They've never alleged that I bought or sold marijuana, but they did allege that I was part of their conspiracy. A conspiracy is an agreement to commit an illegal act. In this case, that illegal act was distributing marijuana. They, I self-surrendered. They took me to Georgia to where the case was charged, and the proceedings were a mess down there in Georgia. And uh, one of the short of it is, is as a first-time offender, I was 42 years old and I'd never been arrested in my life, and uh, I was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. And I've been in federal prison since 2002 at this point. And, you know, a lot of people I have this misconception that because their state passes a law that allows certain things that there really isn't a problem anymore. And how have all these state laws affected you and your and your possible outcome? Well, the, and the odd part is that the kind of backwards federal laws are still being enforced. They're, they're actually arresting not a lot of them, not most of them, but they're still arresting, like, dispensary owners and, and people of that sort. But unfortunately, what they do is the, the first person they arrest, they get that person to point the finger at a bunch of people that had helped them. And so, for instance, in my case, the person that was actually buying and selling the marijuana was never even charged. They never even took uh, his money away from him. But since he put a handful of people like me in prison, that was his reward. He's still out doing what he did. He's probably, you know, been arrested again and put some more people in prison. But that's, unfortunately, the way the federal system works is they convert people into, we call them snitches in the prison, or uh, they call them people that cooperate with the government. And they, they just implicate a bunch of other people by testifying against them, and that's enough to convict them of conspiracy. And there's, well, half of the federal prisoners, right now there's 180,000 federal prisoners. Right at half of them are people convicted of drugs, most of them on similar cases to me under, you know, different theories of conspiracy. And of that uh, 90,000 that are on drug cases, approximately 19% of them are on marijuana crimes. So you're looking at about 17,000 federal prisoners that are serving time for marijuana. And people just frankly don't know that, and they don't believe it. They don't necessarily want to believe it because, you know, it's funny. Every day I get approached by somebody that wants to go into some kind of a business venture that has to do with, with cannabis on some level or another, 
and and I I always they all know I'm an activist, and I even recently just said it, you know, in in a pretty big crowd. I said, you know, all of these people want to do business with me, and none of them want to help me in prohibition. So how do you think this works? You know, it's not going to just end itself. You know, the people that are, that are free and able to do this need to be the ones that need to be this loud voice. And if 17,000 Americans or individuals, whether they're American citizens or not, are locked up for pot today as it is, with all these states, everybody, remember, everybody said, oh, it's in its 25 states, pass a law, then the feds have to do something. How'd that work out? Oh, wait, it didn't, because there is nothing that says a federal law has to change if 25 states agree to do something. And I, and I really think that people need to listen to this, listen to Craig's story and listen to this show as we're, as we're trying to drive home this point. We have Yvonne, who's, a, who's an activist and, a, and a, a, a political activist right now, and she ran for governor in uh, Tennessee a couple, or last year. And, um, you know, she's, she's talking about her, uh, her adventure in life uh, with regards to cannabis prohibition. And at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter all the little laws that have passed until we as a society decide that we don't lock people up for this plant anymore. We just don't do it. If I'm a juror, it's my obligation to say not guilty. If I'm a law enforcement, it's my obligation to look the other way. If I'm a legislator, it's my obligation to pass a law that allows for this to happen. And it's just not happening enough. And that's kind of the message I wanted to drive home today. Well, a lot of that's even based on the 1980s theory that uh, what they called, well, actually it started in 1971 under President Nixon, the war on drugs. Oh, yeah. And uh, the idea of the war on drugs was that somehow drugs were the the driving force behind violent crime. Right. So that if somehow they could rid the world of drugs, there would be no more violent crime. Nowadays, especially with the... uh, Advent of marijuana dispensaries, and I believe it's 31 states. Um, they're actually creating violent crimes. They, they won't allow these businesses to perform as most businesses do and put their money in the bank or put their money in the armored carriers to, to do things with it or to take credit cards and all that. No, they're requiring all these businesses to amass large amounts of cash that they have to store, they have to transport, they have to... Um, somehow handle, and so many of these that work in the retail marijuana business, I I mean, are are becoming victims of violent crimes because they they have these large amounts of money they're they're required to carry around with them. So really criminalizing marijuana, you know, not allowing them to use the banking system is actually causing violent crime against the, you know, the marijuana industry people. Well, you know what else it does is it creates other crimes. So even in a case where, let's just say, the, the uh, Rohrbacher Initiative had passed and it allowed for states to circumvent the uh, Controlled Substances Act, but because there's not these vehicles to do business, like, like you said, like banking and, and, and transportation and processing of payments, there's still this element of money laundering. What do you do if you do an all-cash business and you actually have to pay bills with it? You have to convert that cash into a, a, a usable um, asset at one way or another, 
and that simple process would be considered money laundering. Well, guess what? Yeah, that's a pretty big federal crime the way I see it, right? Even if the the, the so-called illicit drugs had nothing to do with it. If you're laundering money that wasn't taxed correctly, it doesn't matter why, it's laundering that money. And they don't let you tax it correctly, so what do you do? It's ridiculous. It's such a backward system. And what I'm looking at is all these people, you know, that are starting to run, especially for the additional federal offices in the, the 2020 election, they're all holding them to, you know, what their ideas are on abortion and things like that. Well, you know what? The federal legislature is never going to vote on legislation at, uh, regarding abortion. It's just never going to be a federal matter. It, it, that is a state law issue. So, I mean, those kind of, you know, litmus tests for a politician aren't that important. But if you look, a lot of them are dodging the question on marijuana. People ask them straight out, what's your idea? And they give a long answer that doesn't say anything. They need to be held to, you know, how are you going to vote on this? Are you going to bring this up for, you know, a vote? Are, are you going to push this? Are you going to sponsor this? And that's the questions that are not being asked that I think really need to be well, I agree, and I think that as we're getting into another election cycle, um, and there's going to be plenty of Congress positions and senators positions available or, or being run for here in 2020 coming up, um, you know, I think that's another thing, is you're asking people to contact their congressmen and urge them to uh, promote legislation to, uh, you know, make criminal justice reform. I think that's another thing to call out these people. Make them state their position. You know, there's a lot more town hall meetings. There's a lot more open house forums. You know, I'm going to be going to Washington, D.C. in the end of May to talk to the, uh, the FDA about their position on CBD. And they're trying to regulate that like it's some kind of a toxic substance. And I'm putting my resources together to be able to go and, and have that conversation with them, get my name on a list to be able to talk. And it's just another way we need to we need to get our voices to be heard, and we need to speak sense. We need to be fact-based. We need to have our sources cited. We need to be eloquent and brief. And every time it seems like we get a chance to talk, I listen to people in these hearings, and they just talk a bunch of shit, and they don't they don't have their points made right. And I think that that's important. We need to sharpen our game up and really get our thoughts clear and our points straight, and we need to drive them home. I agree, I agree. And one thing that, that I, I can kind of plug, I guess, is uh, the support that I get comes from people like you and the people that are listening to you. One, one of the big uh, <laughs> little story I'll tell you is a, a, a cellmate that I had about a year ago. I've talked about before was a bank robber. He robbed banks in three separate states. Well, he got a not quite a four-year sentence, and with good time went went home just a, just over three years later. And now he's living out in Boston. And recently, I got a message from him that he went to uh, you know some sort of like a cannabis cup type event uh, out there. And he wore a shirt with my uh, picture on it that says, "What about me?" And I guess that's what a bunch of us are, are doing in prison, watching all these things on the news about grow operations, and we're kind of scratching our heads. What about me? 
Oh, I couldn't agree more. You know, I mean, and, and that's the thing that it's happening in, uh, you know, like the Seattle Hemp Fest for, for a while. I haven't been there in a couple of years, but I know a few years. But look, Craig, here's your second beef. I'm going to give you the last couple of seconds to go ahead and close it down. But I, I just want to thank everybody and uh, uh, compel everybody, you know. You'll remember those uh, 17,000 or so of us in federal prison, and there's uh, about four or five times that many in different state prisons. But remember us and, you know, put the signs up, bring it up to people, you know, have other people say, you know, what about them? How they get left behind? Excellent. Well, there it goes. Craig's 15 minutes and um... – you know, every week we get to hear his stories and 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 his um, point of view, and it's interesting. Craig Cecil from Federal Prison, in many cases, is more informed about what's going on in our country than plenty of people on this side of the wire. Uh, Yvonne, you're back on the line, and um, hopefully you were able to uh, hear Craig clearly. Um, I've been working with Craig yes, for the Almost six years now. He's a friend of mine, and like you say, he's been locked up for a long time. His uh, son died while he was in custody. Um, he's lost everything, had all of his property taken and sold, and his family. He's got a daughter that supports him, but, um, you know, all this time in prison and no way out unless we do something about it. So I want to fast forward the... a little bit. Oh, go ahead. One of the hardest things that I've ever had to do was I was a senior in college and I was doing a field research class in uh, sociology and I was one of three people in Tennessee chosen to interview federal prisoners who were in for nonviolent offenses who were raped while in prison. And I think we interviewed like eight different prisoners doing that and that has haunted me and guided me through this I mean I've already lost my sight I mean I'm not getting my sight back that's not gonna happen and but we have so many prisoners now that I mean that's who we need to be standing up for we need to walk for those who can't walk we need to see what's going on for those who can't see. We need to speak for those who can't speak. And it's a sacrifice. It's hard. It's a sacrifice. You might have to go out, you know, go without eating out, you know, at restaurants a couple times a month. Put the money aside to use to back a candidate or go to a conference. Or go to D.C. and visit your legislators. And it's an effort of time. It's an effort of money. It's an effort of dedication. It's an effort of losing people who may not agree with you. But you hear a lot these days about revolution. Let's have a revolution. Let's do this. But you know what? Revolutions hurt. Revolutions are painful. Revolutions are bloody. Revolutions take sacrifice. And that's what we have to see even more of, even standing on the front lines and being the one to get arrested and fight it in court. 
get a jury to say, hey, this case isn't worth hearing. Yeah, it's interesting. I I fought a case with the government for six years, and I I was locked up four times over it um, and ultimately charged with, I don't know, I think it was 24 felonies. And, and and I did just that, and I beat them over over overall. And at the time that I was fighting, I was able to rally a lot of people to fight their cases. Um, and since then, it seems like there's less and less people willing to stand up and fight. But you know, during the civil rights movement and during the Vietnam War era, when people were really upset about what their government was doing, that was the move. It was a move of of take a bold stand get your damn self arrested, and stand up and fight. And I just can't help. Nowadays, everybody's so worried about, you know, I don't want to get in trouble. And I, I just wonder, you know, what happened to our stones? Hey, listen, Yvonne, I've got Bobby Rodrigo on the line, and Bobby's the common thread that brought you to this show. So I'm going to bring him live as well. I think he's got a, a, a question or two for you, all right? All right. Okay, here we go. Bobby Rodrigo, alive with Yvonne. Bobby, how you doing? How is everybody tonight? Always glad to be stopping by a cup of Joe. Uh, you know, I've got to get my cup of Joe, you know, if I don't have it very often. Uh, I, I jones a little bit. It's uh, nice to hear you, Yvonne. I'm glad uh, I'm glad you're on the show, and, and uh, I knew that uh, everybody uh, would really like uh, hearing what you have to say. You have a marvelous history. You know, the, the, the I guess... From the standpoint of questioning for you, Yvonne, uh, you know, I, I'd love for you to share if you have. And I, I, I chimed in a little late, so I may have already talked about this. But if you haven't, I'd love for you to share, uh, you know, what you learned about the political system when you ran for governor. I mean, you didn't just, you know, that that's not a, a, a an idle uh, matter. You know, uh, the picture that is on, you know, advertising you for the radio shows you standing, you know, at a rally in a state where it's illegal with a cannabis plant, you know, which is right up our alley. Um, you know, I'd like to I'd like to hear a little bit, of, uh, you know, so you could tell the audience a little bit about what you learned about the political process in Tennessee, which, as we know, I'm in Georgia. It's very tough down here. I tell you what, I learned. I learned a lot in 2016 when I was Jill Stein's campaign coordinator here in Tennessee. I learned that people are afraid. They're so afraid of what's going to happen next that they don't stand up and fight for what could happen now. Our politicians, even in the last, in the governor's election, um, even the Democrats who were running, were running light on the cannabis issue. They were hedging their bets. Um, so we didn't even have like a strong candidate except for the 27 independent candidates who were running for either the Green Party or the Libertarian Party. Um, you know, so and the our bills in Tennessee are so, so limited um because they know these legislators aren't going to pass something that's going to be a whole plant freedom, liberty, medical cannabis. We're dealing in Tennessee with, I call it a 
um, limited condition, low THC, oil only, political cannabis. That's what we're dealing with. They want cannabis as an issue, but like I said, even the Democrats in the in the gubernatorial election in the primaries were like, well, I'm for medical, and we'll have to think about full legalization. And it's it's old. It, it really is old. Uh, we had a bipartisan uh, bill for um, decriminalization. It failed. Uh, we had a bill for civil uh, to end civil asset forfeiture. That failed. We had a very limited one of those political cannabis bills, and it failed because even though 80% of Tennesseans are for medical cannabis in Tennessee, they're not going to vote that way. They're going to vote their same party lines. And I think my other issue that I'm really strong about is third-party ballot access. And I don't think in some of our, like, really Republican states, and as long as we're bound by this two-party political system, we're not going to get ahead on the hot issues such as uh, cannabis legalization. I just don't think with this two-party system it's going to... It's going to be a thing because you've got your one party against your other party, this one against that one, and you don't have people coming to the table as a whole. They're coming as divided entities to this. Yeah, they, the they, I, I'll, I'll, tell, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you. I'll tell you a couple of things about that because this is an area that I've worked in for years as well. Uh, you may or may not know that. But, you know, it isn't just the Republican states. It's all of them. They don't want to. We, we call it the duopoly. Now, I'm, I'm actually, I don't like any parties. I would prefer if there was no letters next to candidates in the thing. But, but living in our world that we live in, it, what we have is we have both parties keeping anybody else out. I mean, you know, it, it, there's, there's a rhetoric that says that the reason that Hillary didn't win is because Jill Stein stole votes. You know, there's a rhetoric that says that the reason that Mitt didn't win was because Gary Johnson still votes. But the rhetoric is absurd. You know, and then when it comes to things like cannabis and things like jail, both parties are on the same line. You know, we have we have Nixon, Reagan, Clinton, and Johnson to to thank for our present structure and the fact that we have determinate sentencing and we have the D.A.R.E. program and we have uh, victim victims being thought of before due process. Uh, you know, and, and to Joe's point earlier, and to your point as well, you know, the people are scared, and and it's the government has a big stick, and you know they when they you know just like for federal, you mentioned federal prisons for example. So in in the when Reagan became president, uh, they had previously abolished just right before he became president, uh, he they, they abolished the parole board, and in the federal system they have no parole. There's no early release except for I think it's I think it's
uh, act the same. I mean, California is a great example of the other side of what you and I deal with in Georgia and Tennessee. It's the same thing. I mean, Californians get more people in prison than anybody. Uh, you know, it, 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 and the prison system is no joke. Uh, and and the, the lobbying from the correctional institution and from the police department, they're, they're the biggest thugs in the state. You know, everybody's scared of them, literally. I mean, you talk to politicians, and I joke and testify to this, uh, you talk to politicians in, in California, they don't, want, they don't want any part of the corrections uh, lobby or the union, and they don't want any part of the cops. And, and you've got all those people. I mean, they build prisons out in California in their sleep. It, it's just it's absurd. So it's, it's really both. Both parties, unfortunately, to your point. I, I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, well, you know, I, part of I, I, I'm going to have to. I apologize. I'm I'm running a little low on time. I I want to continue this conversation though, and I'm wondering if maybe uh, you you don't mind joining me either next week or the week after to continue this because I don't think we really had a chance to fully explore uh, all the things that you have to bring to this, but. Um, I've got a bunch of other guests, and I'm and I'm running low on time on the show today. Um, would you be well, okay I to come back to another time? Wonderful, wonderful. Well, why don't we come back another time? Schedule you for next week for part two, and um, I, I definitely have a lot of questions for you as we're going. And I I generally uh, uh, have plenty of time to talk to everybody, but I got a bunch of people on the <laughs> line, and I've only got a few minutes left of the show, so. Um, is there a, I'll give you a chance for a parting shot, and then we'll set up the show for next week. And I'd like to talk to you between during the week so we can set up a uh, really be able to address some points because I've got some good questions to ask you. We share a lot of similar uh, experiences, I'm sure, and I'd like to explore some of the some of the more pointed ones. Oh, basically, just. Don't give up the fight, but at the same time, nobody says you've got to bend over and kiss ass for this either. You got it. We got to stand strong on what we're doing. Well, I definitely see an alliance um, right right to be formed, and I have uh, I got a strong spirit that's heavily aligned with what I think yours is. So. I, I bring a lot of uh, people all over the country that are looking for, you know, some new ideas and, and some ways to move forward. And I think you might uh, might be very welcome in that conversation. So I'm looking forward to uh, continuing this conversation next week. And we're just going to go ahead and call next week part two, and, um, and we'll we'll get deeper into it. And if you don't mind, um, is it okay to take your number down? I mean, I've got your number up here that you're calling on. Is that all right? That's fine. Excellent. Well, I will do that, and I'm doing that right now. Just remember the cannabis lady loves you. (laughs) Excellent, excellent. All right, well, I will uh, uh, definitely, I appreciate you joining the show, and I look forward to talking to you a little bit more next week. And, um, you know, we'll just keep keep fighting. We're going to win, Yvonne. We're going to win. I know that we're getting closer and closer. What's happening it shows like this, and there's an awareness that's rising, and people that care enough to, to take a risk and get out there and make some change are coming together, and we're meeting, and we're talking, and we're figuring it out. And, you know, you haven't given up, and I haven't given up, and I know there's a whole lot of folks listening to the show that hasn't yeah. given up, and we're just uh, to guide this a little I bit. I would like and, to and, uh, I'd like to leave you with my mind, not my vision. 
I lost my sight, not my vision. I like it. I like it. I think that's fantastic. Well, peace, everybody. And I think that many of us that are sighted don't have a vision. So let's uh, let's learn from Yvonne, and uh, you'll be back next week to join to continue this conversation. And I really appreciate you being here. We'll talk to you next week. Okay. Thanks. All right, Yvonne Forsyth Newbert, and uh, what a great guest. And uh, we've got a whole bunch. Other guests, we're going to end up running a little bit over time to accomplish it. Bobby, did you have a parting shot? No, I'm good, man. Go right ahead. I, I don't want I don't want to hold you up and uh, rock and roll. Well, you got your next show all set up to go. So all we got to do is uh, call this one part two for next week. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, thanks, Bobby. All right, Bobby Rodrigo with the Coffee Party and also the Human Solution. All right, so we got Glenn Keeling coming up, and then Pete. And then Tom Corby and possibly George Martorano. He called, then he dropped off, so we'll call him back. Yeah, he got the number. Yeah, well, he dropped off, so hopefully we'll tell him to come back. All right, we got Glenn Keeling. Whoa, we just lost a bunch of people here. Oh, no, that's all right. We're good. Glenn Keeling, uh, Creative Care Beacon, Ohio. Glenn and Peggy uh, are are spearheading the chapter out there, fighting their own case, and uh, working on making change. Glenn, how's it going today? Hey, Jill, thank you very much for having me on. It's going real well. I um, want to give a quick update. Um, not really much have happened on our case. Um, we did have people call the prosecutor. Please keep them phone calls coming. Um, Peggy will post the, the number for that. Um, the prosecutor um, says now the reason he is, well, he told somebody, the reason why he's still prosecuting the case is because Ohio's dignity was tarnished by us and we're drug dealers. He's standing oh alone. He's prosecuting the case on his own. There's there's nobody supporting his prosecution at the moment. We're still waiting for the judge to make a ruling on our motions, which hopefully will come in favor of us. Um, listen again, yeah, we're going through our case. We, we're going through this case, and it's it has been horrible for the last 17 months, going on 18 months now. But um, listen, Creative Care Beacon, uh, the Ohio chapter, uh, is real easy to find. We're on Facebook. My name is Glenn Keeling. My wife is Peggy Sue. Uh, reach out, people. Uh, if it's not a case, if you're just feeling, you know, the human solution. International. That's the key to the name right there, Human Solution. Uh, any problem that you're going through, it doesn't matter. Please, please, please reach out to us. Um, we're working on a few things with a couple of the vet uh, organizations here in Ohio. Um, we'll give an update tomorrow uh, on that. Um, but, yeah, please reach out. Uh, cannabis, people should not be in jail at all for cannabis. Um it really sucks, people. It really does. It's a healing plant, and everybody deserves it. Listen, again, my name is Glenn Keeling, Peggy Sue Kimmel. My number is 419-863-0498. Please reach out. Excellent. Thank you. And if anybody knows Glenn and Peggy, they're uh, just amazing human beings and absolutely exemplify what the human solution is all about. So uh, if you guys have been 
on uh, social media and seen the signs that say drop all charges against Glenn and Peggy Keeling, like you see in the background here of this show. Um, it's a campaign that's being run, and, uh, you know, encourage you all to participate. Um, we need to get the word out. Anything you do is something you did. Just remember that. You know, if you didn't do it because you could, if you got a reason why you couldn't do something, you had time to make a reason, not enough time to do something. So, you know what? Action goes a long way. Let's do some acting. All right, we got Pete and Helen Yapel, Solidarity Over Separation Chapter in New York. And they got a big old project going on in Point Jarvis. Um, and let's, tell, let's hear what's going on. Hey, Joe. Uh, I kind of. You know, my our lives never stop. Helen and I, our lives never stop. It's nine. I'm out now working. She's home. But uh, it, listen, he's right. Solidarity over separation is killing it here in New York because we have to. We have a town that's in dire need. It's Port Jervis, New York. It's the smallest community within our county, but it borders three states. It's a hub for heroin. And we fight against this every single day. Um, you know, Helen and I both being ex-addicts, not heroin addicts, but ex-addicts in general, and, and knowing what pharma has pushed us to uh, makes us, you know, uh, fall in love with this community. Plus, that's where we shoot our TV show, you know, and, and air our TV show from, you know. So we, we have a connection with the town. And uh, we had tonight our very first uh, CBD 101 class at uh, Empowering Port Jervis. We're just kind of our headquarters right now until we get our own building. Um, we, are, we have partnered with uh, Empowering Port Jervis. Thank you, uh, Michael Sussman, who is a lawyer in, in Goshen, who donates the building to us, uh, believe it or not. He, he actually donates the building and uh, is great for the community. He's a Green Party member and such, so that it kind of makes sense, uh, you know, that he's not one of the two big two, you know, and he actually does something. Uh, but uh, the, the project's doing great. Uh, we have we just signed a guy on. His name is Hani Shahada. And if y'all don't know Hani Shahada, please look him up. He is a famous uh, sidewalk chalk artist who is famous in New York City. He has done murals everywhere. And we are established a project with the community to paint murals in each of the four sectors of the four wards of Fort Jervis that will you know, emulate their culture, you know, their, the, the history, and, and truly their ward, you know, something they can take pride in. And we're, we've got one up for approval. Thank you, Becca, for writing the, the letter to the mayor. Uh, we already have a meeting on that, and so that's going well. Uh, I want to mention a couple things, though, that are pertinent to the show, not, not just to bolster what we're doing, but guys, we need your help. Please, it, please, please, please. Helen and I are doing this with, uh, I'm sorry, guys, I have to stand outside because I'm at an establishment. Hold on. Uh, Helen and I are doing this on our own right now with the volunteers from truly all over the country. Uh, we have, and the community, thank God they're getting involved. We're, on, we're at every city council meeting now. We not only film them for our TV station, we speak at each one of them. And we, yes, at Monday night spoke and Tuesday we were Helen and I were eating breakfast, and a, a gathering of 20 people people stopped outside the door to talk to us about what we're doing and what we're offering. Tonight we did soups on. You know, we fed the community. 
We fed the community, and then we did our first CBD class, like I'm saying. So we're starting to educate the community now. Uh, and, and, and my point at the city council meeting was this week was, uh, if you haven't seen me in your neighborhood, it's because you have a house. <laughs> I'm dealing people with people right now that don't have one, you know, that kind of live under a bridge. And that's what I'm trying to help too, you know. So we're doing a lot of stuff there. But as far as, uh, uh, as, far as uh, uh, great news, one of the cancer patients that we know that treats and doesn't care about the law and says, my body is worth more to me than going to jail because I feel like I should save myself and decides to treat their cancer, you know, with, with full extract cannabis oil in a state that isn't, you know, legal. And we bolster these people. Helen and I praise them for standing up like we do and saying, screw you, my life is worth more to, you, more to me than your law means. And I, and I will say this today, I, and what made me mad about it, you'll understand after I make the statement, his doctor said to him, we're offering you nothing else. Whatever you're doing, I don't care. Just keep doing it. Okay? So <laughs> that, that makes me mad, though, man. Why doesn't he say, what are you doing? I promise I'm not going to say nothing. Let me I'm take some documentation. You know? But you know what? I mean, you know what? what he's, Go ahead. What he's doing is, is quietly acknowledging this. And you know what? From a doctor... I grew up in a – my dad was a doctor. I've grown up with doctors. These guys are not only megalomaniacs, but they're afraid of, of anything that might jeopardize themselves. But the fact that he's acknowledging it, even inside his head, maybe that door's starting to open up. And we've got to look at the long game. And I, I know where you're coming from, and I totally am right there with you. If we could just get him to just fast forward a couple of weeks, months, years, or decades, whatever it's going to end up taking in the long run – to just say the right words, but God, that door's got to crack open first. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe that's what you've heard. I, you know, Joe, I get that, but listen, even in private, come on, man. I mean, listen, he could say to him, all right, listen, off the record, man, I know what you're doing. or <laughs> Whatever you're doing, let me know so I can document this, you know, because then I can help you. Yeah. You know, without that help, we're in trouble. You know, you, you under, and, and I know you know that, and everybody knows that. Well, but, more and more you know, and more, and, and we're getting more and more, you know, maybe it's starting out here and heading your way, but I've got a dozen uh, doctors that are starting to, to entertain or participate in a in a, in a more or less a clinical trial of some things. So we're, we're making progress on it. Hopefully, you know, the medical community shares information, as I'm sure they do, and, um, you know, we're gaining on it. I know that I, the, the, the jet stream goes from west to east. I'll bet you the information stream does too. And it is, Joe, because we have three doctors on board right now too, even with the project that said, Hey, yes, we understand, and we will volunteer our time. And one of them is a doctor that actually runs the uh, the uh, dispensary for our areas. You know what I mean? Like, there's only one. You know what I mean? <laughs> one name. You get it right. from them. Cure Leaf is who you get it from. But she's at least still on board, and, and, and she's not sharing bad information. You know, we literally yeah. went, and our TV show literally went and taped her and recorded with her. I did a little interview with her uh, because I wanted yeah. to make sure she was giving true information, and that was all I cared about, but she did. But one more thing I want to say and before I get off the phone, because I know I've spent a lot of time, and I do apologize, but I want to say 
the last 13 years of shit and hell life I've lived, I would not trade one goddamn day of that for Craig Cecil, with Craig Cecil. And, and I mean that. And, and God bless him. And, and I, I fight here. You know I do every day for this. And uh, until he's out of goddamn jail and walking the street and having a cup of freaking goddamn infused coffee with me, I'm not going to feel good. Well, and I and I respect the heck out of that. I'm standing there right with you, as you know. Um, you know that's what it's all about. We got to end this, and we got to make it so it can't happen again. I, you know, I got two grandkids, and I just, you know, I don't want to leave this planet until I've paved the way for my grandkids to not have to worry, no matter what their choice is about this plant, about having to, you know, worry about getting locked up ever. So, you know, it's, that's the mission in front of us. I think the guest we had today might be instrumental. I'm looking forward to talking about her tomorrow, and maybe we can come up with a way to, to bring her into the team. Um, you know, and, I, Joe, I listen, think, on, on that before I forget, because you know how my mind works, uh, I was going to ask you, please ask her permission to share her information with me so I can get in touch with her. She'd be great on my show as well, and, you know, she yeah, could help me sure. in any way. Like, I'll definitely help her. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to give her a call uh, tomorrow and, and just uh, continue this conversation. So um, that's, that's absolutely what I'll do, and uh, we're going to keep on rocking. Well, Pete, um, as always, I appreciate everything you guys are doing. You're tearing it up in New York, making us look bad in California because uh, we haven't accomplished half of what you guys have this year. Um, how does somebody get a hold of you with solidarity over separation? All right, guys. Honestly, please, 845-522-3162. That's my phone. You call it. I'll call you back if I don't answer right away. I will return your call. Go and visit our page, Solidarity Over Separation, the Human Solution International, the New York chapter. That's on Facebook. And, guys, talk. 42smallo.com. That's where you can look up everything we have, all the services we offer. And believe me, guys, we are tireless. We work and work and work and work and work. That is true. You, uh, like I say, you put me to shame sometimes. So I appreciate everything you guys are doing. And uh, we'll talk tomorrow. And uh, we look forward to hearing everything on the show next week as we're moving forward. Awesome, guys. Have a great night. Awesome. Pete and Helen Yapel again, folks. All right, we got Tom Kirby. We're 15 minutes over time, but that's all right. Always time for the Lion of the Man, Tom Kirby. Not a man of brevity, but a man of some good words. Welcome to the show, my friend. Uh, I want to thank you, Joe and Lisa, and always Mary and Becca. And not to forget Bobby Rodrigo on the Coffee Party radio show for yet another historical show. Uh, I'm here with Frank Canan today. Uh, he has some good news to report with Donna that she's actually walking some steps with Walker now, Frank. Is that true? This is true. She took about five minutes. All right. Now, Team Donna, of which I'm a proud yeah. member now. <laughs> right. We're getting part of the Hawk Club, too. Uh, this song came to me. <laughs> All right. So, so we 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 fought the law, 
and we won. Now, how do we do that? <laughs> we always get our discovery, and we always file our 995 probable cause dismiss motion. Moreover, uh, you go past the arraignment, you subpoena all the good guys and all the all the bad guys, and uh, you throw everything out, making sick of you. I think of both my cases. I had pretty solid representation uh, back in 1976 uh, when I was up for 20 years for furnishing a joint couple narcs set up by a, a rat, and uh, that rat can't hide from us. Uh, I had attorney Greg Corner back there. He not only had all my discovery, we fought our case for about months, and they closed our town down, little business down. It was overnight, it opened back out of jail the next day. Uh, when we closed that business down, we had a lot, a lot of people that came on us out in the middle of the desert. When we finally took them to trial, that's what we do. We take them to trial. I think back now that we had not only had court support, I had eight witnesses stand for me saying they stopped at my business at Curry, Nevada, asked me for marijuana, which is cannabis. That's the word made up as you We know that. Uh, they, they took the stand. Uh, furthermore, the DA, uh, Manley, was governor. Well, he lost because we won. How did we do that? Uh, eight, eight witnesses took the stand. Not only the, the DA, the DA's secretary also took the stand. Yeah. And Manley, the DA. Uh, I think back now that I probably would have not even taken it, uh, a double possession. Charge. If they come back twice, they can charge you more than once. Uh, well, we we got 20 years of uh, prison, and uh, also you know, don't forget to breathe. Uh, it got down to Greg said it doesn't look good. They were going to deliberation. I said then it won't hurt if I take the stand. Will it? I took the stand for 40 minutes, and I talked to each one of those juries like I'm talking to you right now. Truth and justice always prevails. Thankfully, we had and up at the pottery factory up in Jarbridge Mountains. Uh, we hung the jury in Elko County, Nevada, by the way. That's the biggest county in Nevada. We set a huge precedent. It's what we do. We always take them to trial. And they can't do that. They just can't do it. If we like said, they can't do it. And we go into the, the courthouse here in Butte County, and it's pretty vacant. <laughs> There's just a few cases, not too many cannabis cases anymore. That's what we do. Our goal and vision and prohibition. No one should be going to jail for our sacred plant. Come join us. Help be the solution to and prohibition, and free all of your interviews. And don't forget to breathe. Uh, ready to bring in Willie. Thank you all. Thank you, Tom Kirby. Thank you, everybody, to help make this show possible. Thank you, Noncompliant Mary, Becca, Becca, Yvonne, Bobby, and all the rest. Lisa, for uh, live streaming.
in this city, and uh, we will see you all next week. Hi, I'm Willie Nelson, and the Willie Nelson Teapot Party and I endorse The Human Solution, supporting cannabis prisoners because no one should go to jail for a plant. Little things I should have said, Don. You were always...